Well, good evening. Isn't Jesus wonderful? He is the reason that we are here. We don't ever want to lose sight of that. We're not here to see a man. We're not here to see a woman. We're not here to just because this is what we do. Because we don't have anything else to do on a Saturday night. No, we're here for a very specific purpose, and that is to glorify the Lord, to glorify the Father, to, to accomplish all that He wants to do in you and I. And together, I believe we can hit that mark. Amen. All right, turn in your Bible with me, if you would, over to 1 John, Little John, we'll call it. The book of 1 John, and we're going to go to chapter 1. And we've been looking in this series that we've titled Living in the Light and Loving It. And we're going to just do some review here to get us started. You know, Jesus had made this statement. He said, I am the light of the world. You know, one of those great I am statements that He made. And He said, I am the light of the world. And He said, anyone who follows Me or follows after Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're here in 1 John, let's begin reading in verse 5, and we hear something similar. Now, this is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in Him. Now, God being light, the title of our series is Living in the Light and Loving It. How many of you love the Lord, right? Well, when you live in the light, Things that were impossible before suddenly are possible. If you live in the light, you'll see things that you can't see when you're in the dark. You'll see truth that you can't see when you're hanging out in the dark. And in the light, light is, is the place to be. All right. Let's go on with verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing or not doing the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So, God is light. And light is really, really important for you and I. Without light, where would we be? Right? Without the revelation that you have now, that you've grown into, where would you be? Go all the way back to the beginning. You know, many of us wouldn't even be believers, and, and well, all of us wouldn't be believers, but let's take it just a step further. You got a little bit of light. What if we would have just stopped there? Right? We wouldn't be anywhere as close to where the Lord wants us to be, and in a much darker place than you are today. So, as you receive light, and as you walk in the light, He gives you more light. Now, let's go over he, he, into Matthew chapter 5. You know, He made the statement, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then He said, here we read in Scripture where, where 1 John says, God is light, and there's absolutely no darkness in Him. And now let's see something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you are the light of of the world. Now instead of saying I am, he's saying you are. You are the light of the world. And maybe the first time you read that, you were like, whoa, that must be a misprint. But no, it wasn't a misprint. He had you in mind. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden, 
No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, someone say, just like that, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So you now take ownership of that light. He is the light of the world. And when you've made Him the Lord of your life and He comes and the Spirit of Christ lives in you and you've been crucified with Christ, you no longer live, but He lives in you. Now that light belongs to you and is you. All right, You are the light of the world. It's why you've been created. It's why you were put on this earth is to be His light in the earth. You know, He could have just said, oh well, we're going to send Jesus and we're just going to let Jesus roam the earth forevermore. He'll just never die. He'll be the one super champion that never dies. And we'll just have Jesus on the earth. And no one else is the light of the earth. Just Jesus. But He didn't see fit to do that, did He? He said, no, I need more than that. We need a whole bunch of little Jesus. Christians, right? Christians. And so, when you look at this, you go, well, then I guess I have work to do. That's what it says. Good work. Good work to do. What are those good works? In Ephesians 5, it says this in verse 8, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so live as children of the light. So there is a precise effort, a deliberate effort. You're doing something on purpose, living a particular way. And what is that way? What, well, it's walking in light. We had asked the question, you said, well, how do we live in the light? And go with me over to James. And that question is answered very, very simply. How do I live in the light? Well, be a doer of the Word. Do what you know. Okay, simplify it. Do what you know. In James 1, verse 22, he says, My, uh, But be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and right away forgets what kind of man he was. He's comparing this to someone who only hears and then goes out and forgets what they heard. So come Wednesday, when someone says, what did the pastor preach on Saturday? You better be remembering now. (laughs) But see, when we hear the Word, it's supposed to bring a transformation into our life that leaves us different than it did before. It's not something that we just come together and do because this is what we do on weekends and we like to you know, get together and have our ears scratched a little bit and then we go back into our week of just living like normal heathens and then come back that weekend again and let's do it again and get, get you know, charged up a little bit and then no relationship with the Lord all week long until next weekend and now you, know, you can't have... If your relationship depends solely upon corporate togetherness with the Father, you're in deep trouble. We have to get our relationship right, your personal relationship right, and what will happen when you come together corporately, that corporate relationship is sprung because of a whole bunch of people are in right standing with Him and seeking Him. And they're not just here to be made to feel a little bit better. So don't just hear and go away and forget right away. But rather, look in verse 25, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. 
In other words, doesn't go away and immediately forget it, but actually takes it and puts it to work and says, I'm going to make my life fit into this. What does that kind of person do? It says, they're not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works. This person will be blessed in what he does. Notice it doesn't say he'll be blessed in his opinions. He'll be blessed in his intentions. He'll be blessed in what he meant to do. None of that. And blessed in what he actually does. It's it's past tense. What he's doing and does. So what does it mean to be deceived? Well, we, we examined that and we found that it's just to put it simply, it means to believe something that's not true. You're not pretending it's true, but you actually genuinely believe this is truth, but it's not. It's a lie. And we don't want to believe truth for a lie, do we? I mean, <laughs> we don't want to believe a lie to be truth. So like I said before, the whole point can be summed up in this, do what you know. And what do you know? God knows what you know. Sometimes people let on like they don't know when they do. Sometimes people let on like they know things they don't know. You know has anyone ever said, you know, so-and-so and so, and you nod along with them? And they now think you know what they're talking about, but you have no idea. See, revelation and light, the path of the just gets brighter and brighter. That means you're getting more light. You're walking into more light. You're going from faith to faith, glory to glory. Glory isn't a dark place. Alright? Your path is getting brighter because as you walk in the light that you have, the Lord gives you more light. And one of the things that we noticed about light is that when you get revelation, joy comes. And we looked at this um, a week, two weeks ago of how that light brings joy, at least if you'll walk in it. If you don't walk in it, it doesn't. Yeah, actually, things get darker. We looked at the, the rich young ruler, right? And he comes running up to Jesus, and he has joy. Why? Because he has some light. It's evident because he, he recognizes who Jesus is, and he comes up and he kneels down to him. I mean, he's coming to the right place to get the answer to his question. He's coming expecting an answer, or else you wouldn't come kneel down and in a, on the run. I mean, he's running. He's in a hurry. He's confident. He's expecting. He's in joy for the light that he already has and has discovered. And he asks the Lord, what must I do you know, to be saved? And the Lord gives him some commandments. He goes, well, I've been keeping all those. See, light. He had received light, and he was walking in it. He said, I've been keeping all those since I was a child. And the Lord said, there's just one thing that you lack. He said, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And he was calling him into the ministry. He would have been one of the disciples. He would have been one of the ones that might, maybe he would have written books that we'd be reading today out of the Bible if he would have said yes to the opportunity that he was given. But instead, he rejected light, and he went away full of joy? No, it says sorrowful. See, when we reject light, the only thing left now is darkness. And we looked at that Um, in depth two weeks ago and we're going to look at that a little bit further tonight and how that relates to you and I I'll read a few verses to you in Proverbs 15 30 it says the light of the eyes rejoices the heart a good report makes the bones fat 
Psalms 119, 162 says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great treasure. I rejoice at your word. Well, why would you do that? Well, like Karen, when she was starting the service, right, she said she rejoiced at his word because, you know, it's like life. It renews your mind. It does all these things for you. If you have that revelation of it, you'll rejoice at his word. And trying to tick off the little box of I read my chapter this morning won't be a drudgery to you anymore. But you'll go through five chapters and go, man, is it already time to go? I need to get up earlier tomorrow so that I have more time for this. Because it'll be a joy to you. It's a treasure to you. You know, that which you value greatly, you spend more time doing. I mean, people value their vacations a lot, right? And they spend a whole year working and saving up and accumulating days off and all these things so that because they put thought into it, there's something that they value. Well, what if we would put that kind of effort and thought and, and things into what really matters, right? The Word. And put that kind of, and when we would put that kind of value on the word, you'll see a person that does that joy. You'll see joy as a mark upon their face. And where does light come from? God is light. Psalms 119.130 says, The entrance of your word gives light. The entrance of your word gives light and gives understanding to the simple, to the stupid. Right? You can go from stupid to sharp just from the Word. I'm telling you, your physical brain will change if you'll put the Word into it. And your mind will become more in tune with the Lord and your brain will start functioning better and all the little things that are firing and the electrical, everything that's going on in that physical brain will come into harmony with the Word of God. I remember one of our children were one time struggling in their school grades and they were getting behind. And so we began to have them confess the Word of God about themselves. That I'm quick, I'm sharp, I'm smart. And they had, we had this whole list that they would go down through every morning before they would go out the door and get on the bus. And you know, it was just a few short weeks and their grades were improving. Or his grade was improving. And so, the Word of God will make you smarter than you could be on your own. And bless God, some of us need it, right? (laughs) So say this by faith, even if you haven't lived this way in the past or haven't felt like this is true for you. Let's make it a faith declaration going forward. Say, I'm a doer of the Word of God. I walk in His light. And therefore I am the light of the world, just like He said. Amen. So question for you. Who were the most deceived people of Jesus' day? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests and the Levites. You know, we could say the theologians and clergy of the day. That's what they were. And they were really off into darkness. And it wasn't because they didn't see it. It was because that's what they chose. They rejected light. And we have plenty of scripts for that. We're going to look at more of that. Um, But there was something that happened prior to, to them being in a deceived state where they now think we're doing the right thing. 
Something happened prior to that that actually put them in that place. That was what, that was, there's a name for it. And Jesus, he spoke about it fairly often to them, and he, his name that he assigned to it was called hypocrite. In other words, you say one thing, but you're not doing it. You're not walking in the light that you currently have. And that leads to then a person being deceived and even worse, deceiving others. Yeah, see, it's worse to deceive someone else than you just being deceived, right? We don't want to have other people's blood on our hands. <clears throat> they saw light, and so therefore, and they rejected it, and that led to their state. What was the Pharisees and Sadducees' sin? They claimed to have light, but then didn't walk in it. In other words, we, we had asked the question, or we had made the statement that sin is a violation of light. And we talked about that phrase, that sin being it violates light. It's doing the opposite of what light has shown you to do. In James 4.17, it says, To him then who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. To the one that has light and doesn't walk in it, to that person it's sin. See, I'm not going to be judged for what Mike knows and the light that Mike has. I'm going to be judged for the light that I have. He's going to be judged for the light that he has. And I can't walk in his light because I don't have his light. I can just walk in the light that God has given to me. And so, if you look at this, in fact, I'm going to read to uh, you. go to John chapter 12, and I'll read a couple verses out of Matthew to you as you find John chapter 12. Listen to this. Jesus said, I assure you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you, talking about John the Baptist, John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, when you saw it, did you hear that? When you saw it. But you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds then. Didn't repent then. That is having light, but not walking in it. That now makes them, it opens the door for them to be deceived. Saw it, but acted like they didn't. In John chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus was speaking of light. and He said, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Someone say, that's me. Jesus said this, and then went away and hid from them. Even though He had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in Him. But this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, who said, Lord, who has believed our message? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? This is why they were unable to believe, because Isaiah also said, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and be converted and I would heal them. Now some people look at this and think, oh, well, God, you know, he, he, he didn't want them to receive Him. No, that's not what it's saying. Think a little bit of it this way. If you have, if you have wax and you have clay and you set them out in the sunshine, is the same hot sun, does it change for one substance for the other one? Or is it the same? The sun's just the same. Same heat, same energy, same sun. But the wax becomes softer and softer and softer 
and becomes pliable and moldable, whereas the clay becomes harder and harder and harder. Same sun. Sun didn't change at all. Just has a different effect on each thing. And so, depending on the condition of your heart, it's going to depend on whether or not you are receiving or you're becoming harder. Let's say it a different way. Depending whether you're receiving light or you're becoming more blind. And so what happens is when you receive light and refuse it, you now become more blind. You now become more dull. In fact, hold your finger here. We're going to keep come right back here. Um, but in Isaiah chapter 6, I'll just show it to you. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 6 is where Isaiah received his call. Many of us know that story about the Lord had asked, you know, who shall I send? Who will go for me? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And the next thing the Lord says, the Lord said, go. So now he's giving Isaiah his commission. Go, say to these people, keep listening but do not understand. Keep looking but do not perceive. Verse 10, check it out. Dull the minds of these people and deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. Did you know when you have light presented to you, but if you refuse it, it has a dulling effect on your mind. It has a blinding effect to your eyes. It has a deafening effect to your ear. And if you continue down that road long enough, pretty soon you just find yourself in a completely, in a place you don't want to be. Now, thank God you can be rescued out of that place, but you're going to have to, how do I say it, rescue yourself. Make yourself available for rescue. Maybe that's a better way to say it. You know, when I was a teenager, when I was 10 years old, I gave my life to the Lord. And um, man, that first day, I remember it felt like I could fly. I had asked the Lord, you be Lord of my life, and, and you know, I, I received what He did for me, and man, there was something that happened on the inside, it was undeniable to me. And then as a year or two went by, and I decided that, well, I couldn't follow the rules of my church, because we were in a conservative Mennonite church, so I'm obviously not saved because I'm not following the rules, I'm listening to country music and doing some other things, and so I'm certainly going to go to hell, and those of you who hate country music probably agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened was I would sit through every, every year we would have two weeks one in the spring one in the fall a week each of revival meetings and they would get up and I mean they would preach everything from hellfire and brimstone and, and all these sermons and I would be under conviction knowing that I'm walking in darkness pretending like I'm walking in the light because, see, no one except my close friends knew that I wasn't right with the Lord. I mean, we'd talk the talk, we walked the walk, and we pretended like everything was all right. On the outside, everything was nice and good, but on the inside, it was not. And because we had the idea that, well, since we're already, gonna, we're already on the way to hell, we might as well just do everything. And so, through the years, into my teenage years, sitting in revival meeting after revival meeting. I mean, so many times that I lied saying, oh yeah, I'm good, I'm right with the Lord, yep, everything's great, man, I had a great time. You know, if I needed to, I'd just lie about it. Well, what is that? That's called a hypocrite. And you're headed to a darker and darker and darker place. And I remember by the time that I left that church, I was able to 
sit through revival meetings and not be affected by it. It was just fine. I was, and that's how I wanted it because I didn't want to get up and go up because the way they did it there, you had to get up and confess your laundry list of sins to everybody and I wasn't about to do that and, you know, just all of that. So I moved away. I wanted to make a new start in a new place and moved to Colorado and went the very first week that I'm out there here, they're having revival meetings from, from a favorite favorite speaker of mine from when back when I was seven years old. He's the first minister that I ever, you know, I got. I understood. I looked forward every night going back to revival meetings. This guy was awesome. He'd say all these stories, man. And I, I connected with what he was saying, and, and it was great. And Mom bought the tapes, and I listened to those tapes on repeat hour after hour until I could preach his messages. All right, so we get out there, I get to Colorado, and the church that I'm going to attend, the Mennonite church, they're having revival meetings starting on Monday. Oh, yay. Guess who it is? Abner Kaufman. He was actually from this area. He passed away last year. And, um, oh, that's, wow, that's amazing. I'm a, I came out here to make a new start, and this is the speaker that the Lord sends. So I go to revival meetings, and on night... Monday night, he preached the same topic he had preached Monday night when I was eight years old. Tuesday night, he preached the exact same message he preached when I was eight years old on Tuesday night. On Wednesday night, I told everyone what he was going to preach before we got to church, and I was absolutely right. He preached exactly what I said he was going to preach. I knew his messages. I went through that whole week of revival meetings through Saturday night, and not one time did I have any pull on me to... to respond to the Lord. I wanted to do what was right. I hadn't been doing what was right. I wanted to start over, but there was no conviction. There was no pulling on me. I had rejected light long enough that the Lord was just leaving me alone. I had pretended to be right. Everyone around me, my mom, everyone else thought I was all great, but I wasn't. And I had put this front on. I had been a Pharisee, if you will, for long enough that now I was in a place that suddenly I just sat through a week of revival meetings and I now want to go forward. I want to respond, but it's not there. So Saturday night, I went home and went to the room I was staying in and I got down beside the bunk bed that I was, knee- that I was sleeping in and on my knees I wept before the Lord and I pled with Him, please ask me one more time. See, I thought I must have committed the unpardonable sin. He left me. He's gone. I've rejected light long enough. There's no hope for me. And I said, Lord, just ask me one more time. I will respond to you. Just ask me one more time. I said, we have to put ourselves within His reach. I'm asking Him. This is the first I've asked Him this, right? Just convict me again, Lord. And so the next Sunday morning, I went back and it was going to be the final service. And He didn't preach the sermon that he preached this is the first sermon that he went off of different than what he had all those years ago right and he preached a completely different sermon it was like a real um, encouraging shouting yay I mean like you couldn't have felt any conviction out of that sermon for again sin like if you'd have wanted to it's just he didn't even give an altar call okay that's the kind of service that it was yet there I sat with more conviction on me than I'd ever felt in my life. Like, it had nothing to do with what he said. 
I had showed up. I had asked the Lord, please give me opportunity to walk in the light that you had asked me to walk in. And the Lord was there and faithful. And so service ends. I'm like, well, now what do I do? And so I got up and I go out into the parking lot to where my truck was and had a meeting with Jesus. You know, you don't need to have somebody hold your hand to do that. (laughs) You can just personally encounter Him, repent, believe, walk with Him. And so that was a new beginning for me. And it was a, a rescuing me out of darkness that I had put myself into. Deliberately. On purpose. Don't convict me. I want to be left alone. To, Lord, please, I'm here. Here I am. Send me, right? So, what happens here, I, just, I was reading to you in Isaiah, where if you reject light, you, there's a dulling effect that happens to you. A numbing effect. And, and he was telling Isaiah, you go preach to them and they're going to get duller and duller and d- dumber and blinder and deafer because they're going to reject the light. And in this way, they will be held accountable because they had opportunity for the light, but they turned away from it. And if you go on and read in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, okay, well, Lord, how long do you want me to do that? He goes, until there's nobody left to preach to. Until the whole place is desolate and empty and the land is empty. Well, how is that's the same way for us today, isn't it? We're called to bring the good news, the gospel, until, until. Well, let's go back here in John 12 where we were at. I just read to you how that um, the, the statement that he has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, and in verse 42, actually, before I go on with that, Tell you another just real quick story. Fast forward now a number of years, and my wife and I, we get spirit filled, and our lives are just radically rocked and changed. And so we start presenting all of our our friends, because they're all Mennonite friends there, um, in that church with the truth of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and and the gifts of the Spirit, and therefore today, and all these things. And, you know, I spoke with our pastor and, and pretty much everyone in the church. And only a few of them laid hold of it. So what what happened was they were presented with truth, with light, and now they had a choice to make. Accept it or reject it. Most of them rejected it. There's only a few that accepted it and they ended up coming with us into the church that we ended up planting. But prior to that, before we were completely rejected, I presented this to them. They reject it within... A few short years, all the pastors there had resigned. The church went through a horrible, nasty split. I'm telling you, when you reject light, it gets darker. And the only way out of that is to change your direction and come back to the light. Come back to the light. So what, what, what your responsibility is, is to apply this to your life. How do, where in my life have I rejected light? There's something I know I need to be doing, but I haven't been, right? Something that I know I shouldn't be doing, but I do. Where are you rejecting light and just going your own way because, well, it doesn't fit in my plan or what I want? Here in verse 42 in chapter 12, John, it says, Nevertheless, many did believe in Him, even among the rulers, Alright, see this? The rulers of the synagogues. The rulers. They believed in Him. Many of them. 
That'd be the Pharisees. It says, but because of the Pharisees, or the others, you, you could say, the other rulers, they did not confess Him so that they would not be banned from the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise from God. So they saw it, but pretended like they didn't see it. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Jesus told the Pharisees at one point, He said, they asked, well, are we blind? He said, what? You, if you were blind you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. See, not walking in what they claim to see. And then again, he, he made this statement in Matthew chapter 13, right after um, where he talks about sowing seed. And he quoted those verses out of Isaiah about seeing but not seeing, and hearing but not hearing, and all these things. And then he says this, he says, for this people's heart has grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. They did it. They shut their eyes. It doesn't matter how much light you have available to you, if you shut your eyes and refuse to see it, it's not going to do you any good, right? You can be in the brightest lit room, and if you shut your eyes and go to walking around, you're going to stumble, trip, fall, because you refuse to see light. And when that is going on, that's called hypocrisy. Hypocrite. What does hypocrite mean? It means an actor, like a stage actor, a stage player, a pretender, a moral or religious counterfeit. Intentionally, listen to this, intentionally fake. There is a difference between you making mistakes and you blowing it and you falling down and getting up and repenting and walking out your salvation. There's a difference between that and being intentionally fake. So don't allow, don't just read hypocrite and go, oh man, oh where in my life have I ever sinned? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about areas where you know, but you're not. Listen to some things. I'm not going to give you the reference. That way you just listen. Jesus said this to the crowds and to His disciples. He said, The scribes and Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. So He's telling people, listen to what the scribes and Pharisees are saying. They have light. They're speaking it. Do what they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be observed by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called rabbi by people. See, everything's all about show and recognition. They're more concerned about their reputation than their character of who they really are. And like Billy Sunday said, he said your reputation is what people say about you. you your, your character is what God and your wife knows about you. The character, your character is not developed by good intentions. You can have the best intentions in the world and that doesn't mean anything. Character is developed by your actions. So let's, I'll just keep reading here to you. You keep listening. Because he, he says something repeatedly again and again and again. I want you to catch this. But woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. 
You lock up the kingdom of heaven from people, but you don't go in and you don't allow those entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You devour widows' houses and make long prayers just for show. This is why you will receive a harsher punishment. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. Who wants to, who wants to go mountain climbing with a blind guide? A little bit later, he calls them blind fools, and then he calls them blind people. And then he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat, yet gulp down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup so the outside of it may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and every impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our father, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding of the prophets' blood. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> we know the story, right? Because they did. They killed the prophet, Jesus, the Son of God. And so, what do we see in reading all of that? That a hypocrite is someone who has light and is rejecting it and deliberately living a different way. It's not you and, oh, I blew it this afternoon. I got too mad. I said something I shouldn't have. I went back and repented. It's not talking about someone who has a repentant heart before the Lord. It's talking about the one who is sinning and refusing to repent. You know, in 1 John 5, it talks about a sin that's not unto death and a sin that is unto death. Well, a sin that's not unto death is one that you're repented of. A sin that's unto death, unto separation from the Lord, is one you refuse to repent of. In Matthew chapter 6, go over to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 6, we see... Jesus repeatedly warning them not to be like the hypocrites. You know, he says, he, he teaches them how to give. Don't, don't do your alms. That's not talking about your, uh, your uh, tithe and offerings and first fruits. Alms is what you do for the poor. So don't do your alms for people to see. Do it in secret. Because the hypocrites, they do it for people to see because so they're not really about pleasing the Lord. They're about getting pleasing men. So don't do that. He, he teaches them how to pray. Don't pray so that people think, oh wow, listen to him. So teaches them how to fast. All, all repeatedly warning them not to be like the hypocrites. And so all the things that I, I've read to you about the hypocrites, most of those, most of us, can probably go, yeah, that's not me. 
I've not been doing that. I haven't been devouring any widows' houses. You know, I haven't been standing on the street corner pretending to be holy. You know, I'm not deliberately off here living in sin and, and yet preaching a different, different thing than I'm living. And so it's easy for us to look and say, oh, well, a hypocrite is just, you know, someone that's far out there. But maybe, just maybe, it can actually start a little closer to home than what we think. In fact, I'll just tell you this before we get into the, this next part, is one of the ways to avoid being a hypocrite, mind your own business. All right, just remember that as we go on, that'll start to make sense to you. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, mind your own business. All right, Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. Now, judge means to, to decide on a matter. It means to decide. To, by implication, to try it in your mind, like a trial. Or to conclude or condemn on an issue. To determine it or to pass sentence even in your mind about the issue. That's what judging is. So he says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. For the judgment you use will be, with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice, don't see, right? Don't see the log in your own eye. Say, I am not. A speck detective. <laughs> Say, I am a logger. Right? Mind your own business. Check up here first. Okay, let's keep reading. You know, there's a lot to be said about not judging. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a disclaimer first before I go on with the rest of it. There is a time to judge. There is a right way to judge. There is a right time to judge. Jesus said at one point in John 7.24, He said, stop judging by outward appearances and make a right judgment. We are supposed to judge. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6 that they were supposed to... He said, I'm not even present. I've already judged that guy. About the guy that was like blatantly living in sin, refusing to repent. And... If you keep reading there, he goes, don't you guys know that you, you're going to judge the world? You're going to judge angels? Why aren't you at least, can't you find anyone that's a believer that's qualified to make a judgment on these lawsuits they were dealing with? That's what he's asking them. So don't un misunderstand me. There is a time and a right place to judge. There's also a time we should not be judging. And the thing that you have to remember is that if I'm going to judge somebody, that's the measure that's going to be used for me. Why? Because you claim to have light on that issue. That's what you're going to be judged on. So turn those superpowers of criticism and observation back onto yourself, right? And, and mind your own business. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, there's a log, a tree, in your eye. I mean, that's not even like just in your eye, it's out of your whole head at this point, and crossing five rows in front of you, you know. 
Then he has a name for it. If this is what you do, if you're guilty of something and you're judging someone else of the same thing, his one word here for it is hypocrite. See what I said? It might be a little closer home than we think sometimes. It says hypocrite. First. Everyone say first. There's an order to how this should take place. So first take out the log out of your eye. Then, then, now since you're log free, then you can see clearly. I can see clearly now. (laughs) Then you will see clearly to do what? To take the speck out of your brother's eye. So if you'll just examine yourself first, make sure before I get so high and mighty about, bless God, how dare they, blah, blah. That's not right. That's just not right. Why are they doing that? Before you do all of that, turn those, self-observa- those powers of observation back onto yourself and go, what about here? And examine yourself first. And I guarantee you, if you will live this way, there's going to be a lot of conversations you were going to have with someone that aren't necessary now. Because suddenly you go, yeah, I've done the same thing. I understand how that, that's possible to do that. I've made that mistake too. And you extend mercy to them. So the whole point of this in verse 5 is, is so that you can see clearly to help your brother. Because see, you're not doing it because you're looking down your nose at them and being condescending to them. You're doing it because you love them, you care about them, and I know you need the help getting that out. You're doing it for their benefit rather than, what were you thinking? Right? So it's for their benefit. So we're not spec detectives, we're log detectives. In 1 Corinthians 11, you don't need to turn there, but it's where he was talking about the Lord's Supper and Paul gave them instructions and he said, guys, if you would just... He was saying how they were coming under judgment. He said, if you would just examine yourselves, you wouldn't be judged. This is an amazing gift that God has given to us that if we'll judge ourselves, we wouldn't come under judgment. Right? It's better to judge yourself than to be judged by others. Let's go to James. James chapter 5. And we're just going to continue to look at more Scriptures about this. There's, there's a lot of them. James chapter 5 and verse 9. Brothers, do not complain. It means to murmur or grumble. Do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. In other words, he's hearing the conversation. He knows about it. And if you're complaining, well, how come they treat me this way? Well, he's hearing that. And he's going to have a question for you. Why are you treating others that way then? You are professing that you are aware it's not right to treat people this way, so now that's the standard that will be held to you. Are you treating others in regards to that? Yeah, well, I'm not judging him. I'm just voicing my opinion. Same thing. Let's go back up to chapter 4 and let's look at verse 11. Don't 
criticize one another, brothers. This word criticize means slander. Don't slander one another, brothers. He who slanders a brother or judges his brother slanders the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. So if you're not a doer of the law, but a judge, what does that make you? Hypocrite. That's right. Hypocrite. Doesn't make you a judge, just makes you a hypocrite. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, and it's not you. That's not what it says, but I'm adding that in. That's the SR revised version. It says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Everyone say, mind your own business. So are you a doer, a light walker, or a judgy talker? I know that's not good English, but we can make words up here. Romans 2, go over there. Let's look at more on this. Romans chapter 2, now, it's important to understand context here because what he had just got done talking about was Romans chapter 1. And some of you know what I'm talking about now. About like the worst of the worst. People that absolutely refused God. They had light. They knew Him. They rejected Him. They went into darkness. Now they're applauding others who do the same thing. I mean, just, you know, basically the LGBT, X, A, B, C, D, X, Y, Z... (laughs) community all right that whole thing all the letters they keep adding in I don't know so that's who he was talking about and then he goes and he says this statement therefore any one of you who judges is without excuse for when you judge another you condemn yourself what is he saying that we can't point out sin is he saying that we cannot clearly identify sin and call sin for what it is? Is it judging to say that is sin? Yes, it's judging to say that is sin. Is that okay? Yes, that's okay. Just know that's the light you're going to be judged with. If you're going to judge somebody, make sure it fits here. Because you're going to wear it. So when I stand here and say, you know what, immorality, adultery, fornication, homosexual, that's all sin, then that means I have light. I'm saying I see that light, that that kind of action is sin. And so therefore, if I go do those things, now I'm under judgment of what I said I know. Right? No one here has a problem with me saying adultery is sin, because we all agree on that. We all say yes. We all say we have that light. Well, then we have to make sure that we're not doing that, right? See, here, he, he, he doesn't just say, he doesn't just stop and say, for if you judge someone, you're condemning yourself. He adds the next part in it. It's important that we couple them together. He says, since you, the judge, do the same things. He was talking to people that were pointing the finger at all these gross sinners, and yet they were doing some of the same sins that he had just listed off in the couple of verses before. So this is called a hypocrite. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you really think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same? See, that's the key. Yet are doing the same thing. That you will escape God's judgment? Question. 
Or do you despise the riches of, of His kindness, restraint, patience, not recognizing that God's goodness, His kindness, is intended to lead you to repentance? It's God's kindness, His goodness that leads people to repentance, not His shouting that they've sinned in their face. There's a time and place to call out sin. Absolutely. But we shouldn't be so quick to look down our nose at those who are sinners if we're doing the same thing. Let me just make it real clear and simple and put it in a way that you won't like it. Oh yeah, those that commit adultery, are, that, that's sin, that's horrible, I would never do that. I'll just sit in front of my TV and watch that happening and applaud it. Ouch. See, that's what I said. Stop being so judgy. Start minding business here and suddenly you go, well, okay, I got some house to clean. Let's go back to John 12 again. We had, we had been there earlier. Just because you know that something is or is not right doesn't mean that you need to stand up and proclaim how much of a sinner they are. Be sure to walk in the light that you have because that's what you're going to be held accountable to. <clears throat> let's look here in verse 1 of chapter 12 six days before the Passover Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus who died was the one Jesus had raised from the dead so they gave a dinner for him there Martha was serving them and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him then Mary took a pound of fragrant oil pure and expensive nard anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair so the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil so everyone knew about it then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? The 300 denarii was like a year's wages. All right, so just if you want to bring that home, just think how much do I make in a year? That's how much it was. That's how expensive it, this thing was that she dumped out and just went over his feet and then onto the floor and then wiped it up and now it's gone. And Judas goes, hmm. He had an issue with it. Verse 6, he didn't... He, he, verse 5, why wasn't this oil sold and given to the poor? Now does he really care about the poor? No, he's only pretending to. Right? He's only pretending to care about the poor because he had other motives because it says in the next verse what he was doing with it. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put into it. So he's pretending this over here like oh, he has good motives when he didn't have good motives at all. And the thing is, is he's judging two people. He's judging the giver and he's judging the receiver. Why did you do that? You, you could have blessed the poor. I mean, you're supposed to be a good steward of what you're given. And to the receiver, why did you even allow her to do that? Right? You, you should have said, no, 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 let's, let's save this and like, give it to the poor. <clears throat> Jesus said, you've got the poor with you always. You don't always have me with you. And this, what she did is going to be told everywhere. And tonight's proof of that. Still being told. Right? So He wasn't giving to the poor. See, sometimes when we're so outraged about something, how dare they do that? Why did they do that? That was just wrong. That wasn't right. We need to maybe look at ourselves in a way and say, okay, where am I doing something similar? 
So, give you an example. Over the last year and a half, we have went through a wild time here in, in, in the world, right? With COVID, all the regulations, all, everything that was going on, all the trying to shut churches down, to making people wear masks, to social distancing, all of it, right? Some of us had light. And so we decided we're going to walk in it. We're not going to do those things. We're going to keep the church open. You know, I can't, I can't say that all the people that closed their churches, that the Lord's going to really get on their case for it. But what I can say is if I would have closed the church, I would have been in sin. Because the light I had was it needs to be open. That's what the Word says, right? And so that's the light I'm going by. And so that's the light that I'm going to be judged by. Am I, am I ashamed to say that, to stand here and say, well, I think people that closed down their churches, many of them did it out of fear? No. But now I'm going to be held accountable for where am I yielding to fear in my life? Maybe it wasn't in this area, maybe it was somewhere else. You know, I'm not going to wear a mask and yield to that spirit manipulation of fear. But where am I doing something based out of fear? You know, I had to, I had to start self-examining. Because I had very clear light on something that I was seeing real clearly. And I can't say what the other pastors that closed their churches were seeing. I don't know the light that they had or didn't have. I only know the light that I have. And so what's happening is, is as I'm seeing that clear and as I'm seeing that I believe they're making a mistake, I have to begin to examine myself and say, make sure there's no logs and branches and tree trunks sticking out anywhere, right? And how does that look? Okay, well, why, why, do, I, why do I wash my hands? Is it fear-based? Or is there other reasons behind it? Why do I lock my doors? Is it fear-based or are there other reasons behind it? Why, why this? Why that? Why do I wear my seatbelt? Why do I insist my children wear seatbelts? Is it because I fear they'll lose their life if we have an accident? And you have to self-evaluate, self-examine, and say, where am I making the same mistake, making decisions based in fear rather than in faith? I realize there's laws and things, you know, seatbelt laws, whatever you do with it, what you want. I'm just saying, you have to look at yourself. Try it on for size. Make sure it fits. See, Jesus said, by your words you will be acquitted. And by your words you will be condemned. Remember the story of the talents? And how they came back with the talents that, that the, He had given out. That man, I've, I've taken your five talents and made five more. And the next guy, I've taken the two and made two more and so forth. And then the one guy comes and says, well, I knew you were a hard guy and you reap where you don't sow. And man... You know, money grows on trees for you. So I just buried it, and here it is back with exactly what you gave me. Nothing's missing. And what did Jesus say? He said, that man said to that servant, I'm going to judge you based on your words. And you're going to get exactly what you said. We're acquitted by our words. We're judged by our words. See, the whole issue here is, is you and I are not qualified to make the Judgment about somebody. Because why? Because we can't see their heart. We can only see the outside and what appears to us like they're really missing it. 
And if they are, take 1 Corinthians 5, for example, gross sin, clearly missing it. They even recognized they were and said, huh, they were proud about it, their, their tolerance. And Paul, man, squashed that thing. Said, this is sin. I've judged this guy. Throw him out. Hand him over to the devil. He was very clear on it. We have to take a bold stand on sin, but understand, you, you're going to have to wear the judgment you just put out there. John, you're going to have to sit there for a while yet. Romans 14. Go with me over to uh, Romans 14, verse 1. <clears throat> this whole chapter is talking about food that they should or shouldn't eat, holy days that some people were observing and others weren't, and so forth. And so it has to do with, with judging. And in verse 1 of Romans 14, it says, Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about doubtful issues. One person believes he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. I guess we know what the Lord thinks about vegetarians. <laughs> weak. One who's weak eats vegetables. Next time a vegetarian tries to get you to be one, just say, no, I don't want to be weak. And they'll go, what? <laughs> What's well, what the Word says? Actually, they've come a long way in um, some of the, some of the uh, you know, contraptions that they have now are just amazing. They can take plant-based things and make them taste exactly like, like beef. And it's amazing. They put this plant, I don't know, based product into it. And I mean, it smells, it looks, it tastes exactly like beef. And the, the name of this, uh, what are they called? Cows, that's what they're called. <laughs> they eat grass and taste just like beef. Sometimes we need to laugh a little bit, don't we, to kind of... Okay, let's, let's get back in. Verse 3, one who eats must not... The eating issue here had to do with meat that was offered to idols. It wasn't a vegetarian issue. It was Some people had said, well, because I don't know what meat was or wasn't offered to idols, I'm just going to eat vegetables to play it safe. It wasn't the modern day vegetarianism that, that we see all around us now. So in verse 3, he says, the one who eats must not look down on one who does not eat. And one who does not eat must not criticize, it's the word judge, must not judge one who does. Because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household slave? Before his own Lord he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Someone say, mind your own business. <laughs> one person considers one day to be a... Above another day, someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, observes it to the Lord. Whoever eats, eats to the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is to the Lord that he does not eat, yet he thanks God. So whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. If you meet on Saturday night, do it to the Lord. If you meet Sunday morning, do it to the Lord. If you meet whenever... Right? Some people have to they get all bent out of shape about which day you meet or don't meet. And, and no, just do it under the Lord. All right, verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, 
Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and came to life for this, that He might rule over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you, why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. An account of yourself. This is why it's important to mind your own business. Because when you stand before the Lord, He is not going to be asking you, what about so and so? It's going to be about you. And all the years of excuses of, yeah, but they aren't living that way. Yeah, but they're doing it. Yeah, but so-and-so's a man of God and they're doing it. None of that's going to matter. It'll, be, it'll seem really weak and you won't even mention it because you'll just know that was dumb. Right? Light makes things clear. And when you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, there's a lot of light. Let's keep going. Verse 13, Therefore, Therefore what? Well, because we're going to have to give an account for ourselves. Let us no longer judge one another, but instead decide not to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in your brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. He's still talking about this meat. You know, even the meat that's been offered to idols is not unclean, he's saying. He said, I know it. But, he goes still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it is unclean. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, you're no longer walking according to love. But what, by what you eat, do not destroy that one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves the Messiah in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we must pursue what promotes peace. Now, to pursue something means you're going to have to put effort into it. You're going to have to work for it. Pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong for a man to cause stumbling by what he eats. It is a noble thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. It's a noble thing not to make your brother stumble, is what he's saying. Do you have faith? Keep it to yourself before God. I'll read it to you out of the NIV. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Verse 23, But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that is not from faith is sin. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weakness of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us must please his neighbor for his good in order to build him up. Do you hear this theme? Instead of criticizing and judging and finding fault, there's something else supposed to be happening. Pursue peace and build each other up. Encourage each other. Find the thing that you can encourage each other on. You might not see eye to eye on, on all things, but you know what? There's plenty I'll bet you do see eye to eye on. Verse 3, 
For even the Messiah did not please Himself. Jesus wasn't here to please Himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written before was written for our instruction, so that through our endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we may have hope. Now, verses 5, 6, and 7 are the summation of, of all, everything that I just read here in chapter 14 and 15. And he sums it up by saying this, Now, may the God of endurance, it's the spirit of the thing, you could say, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you agreement, everyone say agreement, with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, how? With a united mind and voice. Therefore, accept one another. Not conform one another. You see that? Not making them think just like you. Accept one another, just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. So here you see, we are to be in unity. And you, can't, you won't be in unity with someone who's finding fault with you and criticizing you and has only negative things to say to you, right? Is judging you and that's not right and this isn't right. It's a lot easier to be in unity with someone who's like, I believe in you, right? You can do this. I'm in your corner. I'm here to help. Well, you can get into unity with that real easy. And that's what he's saying is we have to be more concerned about each other's good. They're good. And looking right here, judging ourselves for the bad. Don't look at them for the bad. Judge the bad here. Bless them in the good. Again, you have to hear me correctly. I, there is a time to judge and there is, there is a time to take a stand in all of that. All right? But as a whole, I think we would err on the hypocrisy side of judging when we ought not to judge rather than in just the acceptable times. In closing, in fact, worship team, you can come up if you'd like. I'm going to read two places to you, so he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. In 2 Timothy, it says this, So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable... Now, how come you would do that? Why would you? How would you even go about doing that? Purify yourself from anything dishonorable. That means you have to examine yourself. Look at yourself. And say, Lord, is it, like David said, is there any wicked way in me? Examine yourself. And what happened? So if you find something there, then, then deal with it. Repent out of it. Whatever needs to be done. It says, He will be a special instrument set apart, that means sanctified, useful to the Master. Prepared for every good work. Who wants to be useful to the Master? Set apart as something special and sanctified. You know, prepared for every good work. The special instrument. It's my special tool. How do we arrive to that place? Examine. Not out here. In here. Examine here with the Lord's help. And then if you find sin, put it under the blood of, the, of, of Christ and leave it there. And it is not covered. It's cleansed. Washed away. 
completely. You know, something that sounds very similar to what I just read, you're prepared for every good work, is where Jesus said, you're the light of the world, so let your light shine before men so that you may, they may see your good works, right? And glorify your Father who's in heaven. James 2, 12 and 13 say this, Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. This is for you and me. Speak and act like someone who's going to be judged by the law of liberty. And if we really believe in the law of liberty, that's not the law of condemnation, is it? It's liberty. It's setting people free. It's extending mercy. He goes on and says, he says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. So if you don't show mercy, no mercy shown to you. Especially if they sin against you. If they're just straight up sinning, it's alright to call sin, sin. The Passion Translation says this in verse 13. He says, remember that judgment is merciless for the one who judges others without mercy. Now check this out. So by showing mercy, you take dominion over judgment. The Holman says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy rejoices against judgment. But there is cause for rejoicing when you receive mercy. Don't have to pay that bill. Don't have to pay off that debt. I remember the day someone called me and forgave $60,000. There was rejoicing. I was grateful for the mercy because at that point I wasn't able to pay anything. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So if you want to receive mercy, then you extend mercy. When people sin against you, be the first one to forgive them. This is how I like to pray to the Lord when someone sins against me. Lord, I forgive them and I release them. They don't owe me anything. And it was me they sinned against. And if I'm willing to do that, then you should be too. So Lord, you forgive and you release them and don't hold that against them. In fact, Lord, just bless them. Be so good to them. Forgive us our debts as we forgive. Extend mercy to our debtors. Stand with me if you would. I know tonight was maybe a little heavy and repetitive. But if we will make it our living habit of examining ourselves, minding our own business, looking out for the good of our neighbor, We'll come into that place of unity, of set-apartness, that special instrument under the Lord that will, is, is prepared for all the good work that's in front of us that has to be accomplished in this season. Everything that has to be done in what's coming. If you think 2020 was wild, we haven't seen nothing yet. Maybe you didn't do so well during the last season. That's alright. Stand up. Let the weak say I am strong. And the next time it comes around, we're going to lick it. We're going to be strong. We're going to stand in faith. I was watching a video that the lesser magistrate, that book, the lesser magistrates that we did in our home group, they sent out. And it was about um, Pastor Tony Spell down in Louisiana. And he was one of the ones that had kept his church open. He had like a thousand plus people in his church and he immediately hit the news. 
and was all over the news and, and they like were trying to make all this trouble for him. You know, we were spared of that. We didn't have that happen here. And they had all this trouble and he got arrested 33 times over the last year for having church. He is facing 18 years in prison if convicted for having church. This is in Louisiana. In Florida, Pastor Rodney Howard Brown, he started going through a similar circumstance and then things changed for them. Thank God for their governor. They started taking a stand and, and the people around them. But I say all of that to say this. In the season that's coming, because I don't know what all's coming, but I just know that this isn't going to be the hardest test that we faced, individually or corporately. And whatever is coming, if we will be united in extending mercy to each other, make this place be the place that everyone knows that's where they love each other, we're quick to help each other, we're very slow to judge. What, what, did, what does it say in 1 John? That's how we know we pass from, light in, or from darkness into light, is if we've loved one for another. Jesus said this is how... They'll know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So in this next season, as, as we want to go forward with the Lord, you know, and we look at places like China and we say, well, you know, I don't think it'll ever be like it was there. Well, eventually it's going to be worse. I mean, I don't know when, but just read Revelations. Eventually it's going to be worse than it was in China, even here. And so whenever that comes, how are we going to make it through that? We're going to have to be the most loving, most merciful, most faithful people that we know. There's a, there's a name for that. Hypocrite isn't one of them. It's called salt and light. You are the light of the world. You are the, we could put in the word love. You are the love of the world. You are the mercy of the world. You are the blessing on this planet. Let's pray. Father, I thank You, Lord, that You are so good. And I, I just... Father, we worship You. We exalt Your kindness, Your mercy. Thank You for having mercy on us. Thank You for giving us opportunities again and again. Lord, I ask You to... Where we need to be convicted, convict us. Where, where we have rejected light and turned away from it, help us to see it and be aware of it so that we can walk in it. That we can step out of the boat and walk with You all the way to glory. And then to levels beyond. Lord, I thank You that You are faithful, that You watch over Your Word to accomplish it, to perform it. So Father, I call Your Word fulfilled in this house tonight. I call Your Word fulfilled in the individual lives that are here tonight and listening by internet. I call You filled with the will and knowledge of God in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask You to help us be merciful. I ask You to give us Your eyes and heart. To see as You see. To know as You know. Father, help us to see ourselves as You see us. Both the good and the bad. Father, nothing is hidden from Your sight. And we don't want to be in deception, Lord. We want to 
see clearly, walk clearly, walk plainly, be the light, be the salt, do the good work that you've created us to accomplish so that people recognize your goodness. That's what we want, Father. I thank you for helping us with this. I thank you that you've poured out grace upon grace, mountains of grace for us, of your ability, of your help in this. Someone say, with him, with him. I can do all things. I can do all things. For he strengthens me. For he strengthens me. For the law of the Spirit of life, of spirit of life has set me free, set me free. From, the law of sin and death. from the law of sin and death. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship him. Yeah. I just had a humorous thought. If somebody asks you what you learned in church this week, you can say, Mind your own business. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't recommend it, but it just tickled me to think of that. Okay, Caster. I can say that. Well, then just stay with the Lord for a bit, right? Keep looking to Him. He restores my soul, right? He renews your life. They that wait upon the Lord, He will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. So just stay with Him for, for a bit. Then at, tonight at home, this week, stay with Him and you'll be able to say it is well with me it is well with my soul well father I just release these people into your hand and I ask that by your spirit you would continue to work on each one of us direct us guide us lead us Lord lead us by your spirit lead us by dreams lead us by visions lead us by all the ways that you desire to lead us Lord and we just avail ourselves make ourselves available to you to do your will at your bidding for your cause in all things in Jesus name and amen well one way that we love God in this house is we love on one another so check up on your neighbor in, a, in the good ways. Make sure they're doing well. Bless them. We have a time of fellowship downstairs you're invited to as well.
Good evening, everyone. Wow, it's so good to see each and every one of you here tonight. Thank you so much for your faithfulness to the Lord, to not forsake the assembling of yourself. Isn't that the word of God in Hebrews? How's everybody doing tonight? What? Wonderful. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Amen. Well, I love to encourage you in the word of God because the word is the infallible truth on the earth today. You know, I was at a party today and one lady was complaining how she's got a foggy mind. And she says, oh, I hope it's not dementia or something. And I said, I've got the perfect fix for that. And she said, oh, what? All excited, you know. And I said, the word of God. It's life. Every time you read it, every time you hear it, every time you look at it, it pulsates with life. It's feeding those brain cells. <laughs> I got so excited. But it's a truth, right? The word of God is life. It brings life to you. So here's the word of God in Psalms 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Oh, it's so good to thank him from your heart for all he's done, all he is, and all he will do in your life because he's a good, good father. And to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on the instrument of ten strings, John, on the lute, on the harp with harmonious songs. For you, Lord, you have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the work of your hands. For you are my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in you. Glory to God. Just meditate and think about the word. It's so beautiful. Let's stand together as a family of God tonight, and let's worship the Lord. He is so doing. because of Jesus. We just lift up the name of Jesus tonight. We bless your name. Holy, holy is your name. Father, we're so grateful to be here tonight, to be in your presence, and we just thank you for it. I thank you that the Spirit of the Lord is here and that 
Freedom is here. And I thank you what you will do in this service tonight. I thank you that you're moving in the hearts of your people tonight. And we are sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah and amen. Well, welcome to Church of the Word International. You might be thinking this is a little bit different. That's okay. So we want to give a hearty welcome to anyone that's here for the very first time. Um, anyone here for the first time, can you raise your hand so we can welcome you in the back. Thank you for coming tonight. Glad to see you here. Over here in the back, we have some more. Welcome. I trust you're going to be ministered tonight. Lives are going to be changed. All right, well, we are going to do something a little different. We're going to go over our announcements, and then we're going to bring the children up, and to take, we're going to take a picture, and I'll explain why as I go through the announcements. Um, and then we'll do our meet and greet. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. So, announcements. We have tomorrow night is our youth and young adult impact time here at 6 p.m., also, I know many of you know this, but we wanted to just mention that we have weekly prayer time here at the church. So Wednesday nights, at, well, Wednesdays in the morning at 9 a.m. and also at 7 p.m. We also have prayer time before the service at 5 on Saturdays. So everyone's welcome to be part of, of those prayer times. Um, we've been doing some changes to our prayer requests, our prayer warrior groups. So we've been kind of changing how we get those and how we send those out. So in the bulletin here, it says if you want to be part of our prayer warrior group, you need to email your name to prayer, or you can also um, prayer or pray, at churchoftheword.com if you want to be part of that team. So send your name there if you want to be part of the team. If you have a prayer request, um, also send it to prayer at churchoftheword.com. Um, what we're going to do, those that want to be part of the Prayer Warrior team, we're going to have a Telegram group. So we'll add you to that Telegram group. So first download Telegram. So first download Telegram. If you don't have that, that's a great app. So if you haven't done it already, down. Okay. What he said. <laughs> so download Telegram if you haven't done that already and you want to be part of the Prayer Warrior group, then email your name to pray at churchoftheword.com. All right, so we have a missions child. Many of you maybe know that, but just for those of you that don't, we have a child in Ghana that we support. His name is Michael. And so parents, if you want to help um, you know, train your children to give into missions on a weekly basis, what we are doing is having... The children bring their donations to give to Michael. Each week we'll have a collection. Um, they can bring that on a weekly basis if they want, but it's going to be collected once a month and then um, turned in and, and make sure it gets to, to Michael. But um, we would like to send a photo to Michael of all the children. So children, if you'd like to come forward. Let's see who's... Is Bree doing that? Okay. We're going to send a photo to Michael so he can see these lovely faces that are helping him out. All right, everyone look right here. Ready? One, two, three, say cheese. Do it. Since Mr. Troy is going to 
you have to lay in front of me. Yeah. kids. You guys can be dismissed to your classes and the teachers to their classes. And you guys can get up and hug someone, greet someone, tell them that you're glad they're here. All right, well, we're going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord this evening. Amen. Let's get excited. So if you need a cash envelope for your giving, raise your hand real high. For giving by credit card, fill out all of the blanks. If you're making out a check, you can make it out to CWI. And you can turn to a familiar passage in Malachi chapter 3. I know for those of, that have um, made this their home church and come here regularly, y'all probably quote Ma Malachi 3 to us. But, you know, I never want to take it for granted that there's not somebody sitting in the pew that has never heard this and doesn't know what I mean when I say the tithe belongs to the Lord. Well, I kind of got ahead of myself, but because I had a question I wanted to ask you. There's a question that ought to be settled in all of our minds. And it's this. Does the tenth belong to God or not? Does it? Because we have to have that settled in our mind. Because if it's God's, if it does belong to him, and we use that tenth for something else then we robbed God. That just sounds terrible. We don't want to rob God. Because if it's his, then it's not mine, right? Well, really, before I can even ask that question, there's another question that we need to ask and really get settled. And that is this, is there a God? I mean, because you're not going to tithe to a God you don't even believe exists, right? So the question is, is there a God? Is there a creator? Yeah. Absolutely. See, if there is a God, then he should be honored. If there is a God, then he should be obeyed, and, and our life is not our own. Do you know there's whole scores of people who don't believe that? They don't believe there is a God? Because, really, it comes down to this. If there is a God, then their life is not their own. They're not their master. They don't want to do that. They don't want to surrender if there would be a God. So that's the first question. Yes, there is a God. Aren't you glad there is a God? Aren't you glad there is somebody who loves you, is rooting for you, that you're not on your own bumping along down here in the dark, in confusion, in your own messes? There is a God in heaven. We love him. We believe in him. We serve him. It's our life to serve him. All right, so as a tither, that's what we're demonstrating. We demonstrate that we believe in God, we've surrendered to him, we've given him first place, that we recognize he's our source. We recognize that we're completely dependent on him. So I'm just going to read in uh, Malachi. This is, I'm going to give you scripture for why I say these things. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, 
See, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Haven't we heard that in Hebrews? But you say, no, says the Lord of hosts, but you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Like, isn't that just a ridiculous thing to say? Why would you do that? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Now that always is, seems funny to me because, well, if you brought half the tithe, then it would be a fifth, not, not a tenth, but anyway. <laughs> Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby, or by this, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. See, he's interested in blessing you. He wants to bless you. He's not, doing, he's not saying, hey, give me what's mine. I want to take it from you. He's, look, give me an access point to help you so I can pour down blessing upon you. Verse 11 says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So the tithe belongs to him, and he is so for you. He, just, he wants an access point to be able to bless you and help you and protect you. And so I'm excited to return the tithe to him. It brings me a whole lot of comfort knowing he's looking out for me and he's the provider. Amen? All right, well, let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you tonight, as always, that you are such a good provider and that we can depend upon you completely. You're completely trustworthy. And we just thank you, Father, for your promise and the word that the tither is blessed and the tither is protected. And I just call these tithers blessed and protected and the windows of heaven open for their account. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name and amen. amen. And the t- uh, ushers can pass the baskets and the people will give it to the Lord. All right, now things are out of order. <laughs> We still have a few announcements, is that right? Um, I believe our pastor is going to go over those. We get into a habit. You know it's good to mix things up. Sometimes we just shake it up a little bit and just remember, keep it real. Which brings me to the Armada Landmark. For those of you that did not pick up a brochure, you can pick up a brochure in the back on the table about it. And what the Armada Landmark Conference is, is every year, for those of you that may be new with us, every year we hold one week of meetings in the third week of June, so you can just put it on your calendar as far out in the future as you want. And in that third week of June, we have meetings all week long, and what it is is a collection of churches that are like-minded when it comes to missions and what we're commissioned to do in the earth, that we come together and we have times of teaching and fellowship and really just strengthening each other in the Word is what that time is all about. So everybody's invited. There is a meal in the evening, so it starts every day at 1 p.m. We'll have three sessions in the afternoon. We'll have a break for the evening meal, which will be here at the building, and then we'll have a full church service after the meal. So if you're going to be here for the meal, make sure you sign up. Okay, pick up one of the brochures, and on um, here I believe is going to be, maybe not, 
It's in the bulletin. All right, on the bulletin, you can see where to go and um, make sure that you reserve food. All right, so we don't have to believe God for the five loaves and fishes, you know, to be multiplied. So sign up. That way we, we have you covered for the meal. And so that happens every year. We call it the Armada Landmark, and the reason that we call it a landmark is because it, if you're out on a ship and you're going along the coastline and you see in there a landmark, maybe it's a lighthouse, right? But you see a landmark, and it's a place to identify where to correct, either correct your course, to know what kind of kind of progress you're making, which direction am I going, you can look over at the landmark and you can say, oh, well, we've made some progress, or oh, we haven't, or I can't find the landmark, right? Now you're in trouble, you're out in deep, deep water. But the point is, is a landmark helps you identify, it's always something you can look back to and say, remember when, you know, whatever good thing it was that happened, those are landmarks in your life. And I know for my wife and I, the landmarks have been absolutely pivotal in our lives. I mean, we, our lives changed at those landmarks from one year to the next, direction from the Lord, things like that. If it wasn't for coming to the landmark, I wouldn't be standing here in front of you today. I mean, multiple times over. And so that's the kind of landmark that we're looking that it be for all of us. That we come and there's change in our lives that we can always look back to and say, there is where the Lord laid His hand upon me and gave me direction for you know, whatever it is. Now, the other thing I want to talk to you about is the Armada Commission. And I want to make sure you understand that when you hear us talk about Armada Commission, Armada Landmark, they're not the same thing. Just because the word Armada is involved, don't let that confuse you. Right? The Armada Commission is a Bible school and it runs the length of, of a normal school term. All right? That'll start in September, it runs all the way through into the spring. And that's called our Armada Commission because people are commissioned, they um, come out of that Bible school commissioned to do uh, what the Lord has called them to do. All right. So when you hear commission, that's what we're talking about. When you hear landmark, we're talking about one week of meetings. So you, we're going to have some brochures on the commission for you as well. They're not back there tonight, but you can be looking for those in the future and you'll be able to pick those up and learn about the Bible school that runs the length of an entire school term. And now for some exciting news. Where are our graduates at? We have Castor Schumann and Elisa Ayers. All right, why don't you two come up? I'm going to steal Castor out from behind the sound booth where he's working. We have a small gift for you guys, and we just want to celebrate with you because the accomplishments that you guys have made are significant. Now, you, you graduated from high school and you graduated, graduated from veterinary school, is that correct? And so, if you need a doctor, call I'm not her. A vet. I'm, just a, I'm just a nurse. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. The horse nurse. Awesome. So, this is for you. Thank you. This is for you. There's no horse in around, right? No. All right. Stretch out your hands to these two, and we're going to pray over them. Father, I thank you that you and your uh, foreknowledge that you brought them here tonight. Lord, we just ask you to accomplish. Uh, in Elisa and in Castor, all that you want to accomplish. Lord, I 
Call for your purpose and your plan in them. Lord, give them direction and guidance when they need it. And Lord, that you would reveal to them clearly the next steps they should take, how to accomplish it. Father, bring people alongside them to walk with them through this journey that you have them on. I thank you for it. I thank you for helping them to graduate with honors in Jesus' name. And amen. Amen. All right. Tell you what, graduating from something like that, that where you put lots and lots and lots and lots of hours, and in some cases years and years and years into it, that's a significant thing. And you can always look back at those things and say, you know what, I accomplished this. It took me 12 years to do it, but I did it. So then the next thing doesn't look so insurmountable, right? Right? 